I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. I'm Colin. And we are once again going to be talking about something that is currently in theaters, which is The Martian, which is the Ridley Scott film starring Matt Damon, adapted from the Andy Weir book of the same name. And to help us in our discussion, we have a special guest today, co-host of The Sci-Fi Christian from the great state of Minnesota, Mr. Matt Anderson. So, Matt, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things where I had put out a feeler to you um, because I'm a fan of your show on Facebook. And I think the context was you guys were doing somewhere like the 350 episode when you were saying things that we want to do before episode 450. Oh, yeah. And I, I think you had The Martian as an alternate. Yeah I, and, yeah, I can't remember if it was an alternate or on the list, but I've been interested in this movie for a while. I didn't know I'd get to the book, but thanks to you, I, I yeah. dove into the book as well. Yeah, and as we were saying, or we were talking earlier, at, at the time, you would have been our first guest if we hadn't subsequently then gotten guests, but right, well, you were the first first one in our hearts. Yeah, we've been so. talking about this uh, this podcast, getting together for this since last May, so this has been yeah. in the works for a while. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is, uh, of course, I did this unilaterally. I didn't discuss it with James and Colin, and like we all live in the same town. We get together. We run several times a week, uh, and we, we talk in other contexts, but I never told him anything about it until we actually put it on the schedule, and I said, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to have a guest. Um, so. so, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you don't mind. If, if you, I mean, if you want, you could talk, and I'll just chime in every now and then. Whatever. No, we, we, we always like the guests to talk about themselves a bit. So um, to that end, um, Matt, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, kind of your history as a science fiction fan, and uh, tell us about your podcast. Perfect. Yeah, I've been a longtime science fiction fan. I, going back to my childhood, watching uh, shows like Sliders and uh, the X-Men, the animated series, uh, I'm trying to think of some other pretty important ones to my history. I watch a lot of Next Generation uh, so yeah, I, oh, back to the future. I think that was something that really set me down a path. So mm-hmm. if, when it comes to subsets of the science fiction genre, I love time travel. I love, um, uh, alternate universe type stories. Uh, so yeah, ba- basically, oh, and I got into comic books then through shows like Batman, the animated series and X-Men, uh, the animated series. And yeah, kind of, uh, just been riding that train then for years and, uh, around, the end of 2010, I got into podcasting with uh, one of my friends from church named Ben DeBono, and uh, we weren't doing a science fiction-specific podcast, but then in 2011, we decided to start a second podcast, which we now call, or which we called The Sci-Fi Christian, and on that, we talk about theology and pop culture and science fiction, speculative fiction of all kinds, so yeah, we're doing that now. Uh, we're about to hit five years here in January. Nice. And you guys really churn them out. I know you do like news episodes, you do book reviews, movie reviews. Yeah. During our first year, we had, we would do one episode a week. So we'd have the first part of the, the show would be news and then we'd have our main topic and then we'd go to some listener feedback. And sometimes those episodes were two to almost three hours long. And 
Wow. Uh, when we started our second year, I changed the format so that we would. <laughs> Ding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I changed the format so that we wouldn't have to make people listen that long through things. Also, I wanted our episodes to be more timeless. And if you start with the current movie and book and TV news, it sort mm-hmm. of takes out the timelessness factor. So now we do. Uh, we get together every Tuesday night. We record at least two episodes, maybe more. So we do news, have it, and then we do listener feedback together as one episode, and then we have a main topic we record uh, as well and. Uh, yeah, so hopefully that will lend itself to people being able to check out the show in years to come and they can skip the news because they don't need to know who was recently cast in Avengers Age of Ultron. And I like, though, with your show, there's the the mix of the kind of theology-heavy ones and the the more just science fiction topic kind of things. Like there was, there was one that you guys did recently called The Dystopian Dilemma, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of talking about the rise of um, all the young adult dystopian stuff and... Um, and then earlier in the year, you also did. Um, oh, I'm blanking on it now. Tell me what um, was what was the that? classic the classic thing? Um, oh, the Divine Comedy. Oh yes, yep, okay. Which was really cool. Yeah. Well, both Ben and I are fans of history and philosophy mm. and theology. Uh, we, I think we mentioned on the show here and there, but not all the time. But we we uh, went to grad school together actually after meeting at church, and and we both got our masters of arts in theological studies, and so we tried to tie in that those interests into you know regular modern pop culture stuff and so because you know you mentioned dystopian dilemma that was one of our episodes where we looked at the history of dystopian fiction bringing it up to modern days where it seems like it's teen fiction heavy and and yeah uh, what does that mean for today's world and why is that so popular right now mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's we, we do kind of go across the board when it comes to philosophy as well and the, yeah I, i'd never read uh dante's divine comedy before but my co-host is a huge fan, so uh, thanks to Ben's prompting and a kind of a video series we did along with our regular podcast, we read through all three parts of the Divine Comedy. So that was a great experience. Yeah, and good chemistry between you guys. I, I mean, I know you're friends in in real life and everything. And the other thing that's interesting is that um, Ben converted to Catholicism and Matt is a Protestant, and so there's some some interesting perspectives there yeah it's it's super funny because uh he well what, we started going to church together like i mentioned we were at a small church plant in the twin cities area and uh over time he started as an intern and then he moved into an associate pastor role so he was you know my pastor or one of my pastors at my church and then he stepped back from that role after uh starting to feel a, a led to to move over to catholicism and often when he comes over, I'll have already had, um, we use audacity as our software to record the podcast. Often mm-hmm. I will have it recording before it even gets there because even though we're friends, uh, we don't really talk too much outside of podcasting that we do here and there, but that's really when we are able to reconnect and keeps our conversations fresh. I feel like in some ways, but, uh, so I usually have a recording in case we get in and start talking about something before we're to the main topic. So he comes into my, my apartment one day. And says, I have to tell you something. And the mic- the mics are going. He doesn't realize this, but we're live. Uh, and he says, I'm leaving the church. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? Uh, are, did you get a job somewhere else? Because he's, he's the pastor there, or one of the pastors. So I thought he got a pastoral role at a different church. And he said, I'm becoming a Catholic. And I did not believe him. I, I yeah, Because it was just out of nowhere to me. So I was like, no, really? What What's going on? So then we moved straight from kind of standing near the microphones to sitting down and having a conversation that became one of our podcasts uh, where he kind of told me the journey he had been on and how he decided to, to become a Catholic. Yeah, it was a good episode. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, 
so well done on the uh, pirate recording. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it pays off. You never know when you're going to get an episode. And like you'd already mentioned, we put out a lot. So the more the merrier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've uh, done enough of that and we can start talking about the book. Um, does anybody have a solid kind of understanding of the history of the book, Colin? Would you be a good resource for that? Yeah. Yeah. Started by a computer programmer named Andy Ware. And he had always wanted to be a writer. He had tried a couple of books. They didn't turn out very well. Um, but he started working on this one book, and he would publish it chapter by chapter to his website. And lo and behold, people really took to it. He got all this feedback. Um, people would vet the science that he did and put into it. Um, and then people started saying, well, I'd really like to have this you know, on, on my Kindle so I can read it. So we put it up on the Amazon store and found out that you can't sell books for free at Amazon. You have to charge at least 99 cents. Um, and it did really, really well, really well. Um, and then it got picked up by Amazon for like best science fiction novel. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, had a whole bunch more business. And so then he got a book contract and from the book contract, he was published. And so then it was available on other platforms and then it got picked up by, um, Ridley Scott for adaptation into a movie. Yeah, actually, I, so I was listening to uh, a recent interview with him, and Ridley Scott wasn't attached right at the beginning. I can't remember who was, but once they had Matt Damon and Ridley Scott on there, that's when Andy Weir said, okay, this is happening, because big enough names to attract other big names. Because when you look at the cast of the film, that's a lot of big names. It's an A-list cast. Yeah. So, And it's, it's one of those things where it's like it gives hope to all aspiring authors that this guy can just throw something out on a, on a blog – and end up with a book and movie deal out of it. It's it's a cool story. And I will put in the show notes, um, there's a couple interviews that um, I've heard recently. There was one on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the Wired.com podcast, and um, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is another podcast I like to listen to. Um, just recently did an interview with him and a movie review of The Martian, so in their most recent episode. So I'll put some of those in the show notes. Actually, the show notes, as I said to you guys, are completely out of control because I've been collecting links for like a year. So Nice. <laughs> but I always like to put them there because um, some of them are, are just really fascinating. So, cool. um, Matt, one of our former guests on the show, uh, Nick Jensen, is actually a rocket scientist. Oh. Um, and so when we, we had him on to talk about Starship Troopers, I think. Yeah. And, um, and so he was telling us about some of the kind of real life things that NASA is doing that are similar to what happens in the martian so. I, I should warn your audience then i am not a rocket scientist <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you may have chosen poorly for having me on the show yeah yeah our standards have come down uh, <laughs> since since we had nick on so. well and it was a special episode we had a a rocket scientist a directed energy weapon specialist and we were talking about military sci-fi that's true well do somebody want to take a crack at the uh, the story as we call it kind of a back of the cover back of the book cover synopsis right. would be pretty easy anybody want to take a crack at it Sure. Go for it. Since I usually do it anyway, I think. Okay. <laughs> Actually, this one, it's uh, pretty easy because they tend, didn't stray too far from the story. True. I think in both uh, sources, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So we start off, we got a uh, manned mission to Mars going on. And then all of a sudden there was a freak sandstorm on Mars, which, you know, can never really happen. But that's okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> And so they, divide, they decide to evacuate Mars, and in the process of doing so, um, Mark Watney gets hit by an antenna array and knocked out of you know, basically the 
view of all the rest of the astronauts. And since the sandstorm is going on, they can't find him. So they decided to leave without him. They're thinking, thinking that he was dead. Um, let's see. So then they launch off. Turns out he's not dead. Yada, yada, yada. He ends up being able to, I don't know, contact Earth and ends up being able to contact the crew after that. Let him know he's alive. Yay. <laughs> um, he survives for a while. And I think I'll stop there for now. Yes, he has to MacGyver his way yeah. to try and get home. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard it described as Castaway meets MacGyver meets Apollo 13, which I think is pretty That's apt. a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few nods to Apollo 13 in, that, in this movie. There are. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go kind of overall impressions of the book? Um, Matt, uh, you just read it. Why don't you tell us what you thought? Yeah, I can't remember exactly when I finished it, but it must have been about a week ago or maybe two weeks ago. I'm not sure, but I loved the book. And just like you were saying, the first uh, kind of thing that it reminded me of was Castaway in Space. And I, I, (laughs) you know, I I was reading it in different chunks. I didn't sit down and read this straight through by any means. And so uh, I thought the whole book was going to be just his journal entries that he was doing, because it wasn't until chapter six, I believe, that they actually got to us seeing what was happening on earth and from their perspective. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, I was glad to have that, those extra parts, but I love the book five stars for me out of five. Um, really, I basically just enjoyed it from, from cover to cover. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Since you mentioned the, what, what you just said about the first six chapters, like where you thought it was gonna be just about him. I felt like the movie went that way for a while too. It did. Yeah. For the beginning of the movie, there were a significant portion of just Matt Damon mm-hmm. and, and then they kind of switched over to NASA and uh, the other crew. So yeah, I, thought, I, I liked I liked the I liked how they did that the way that flowed that way, making it very similar to the book. You yeah. know, and I love the Watney character so much, but I found myself as a reader uh, getting excited when we we're back on Earth and seeing how they're perceiving what's happening and what they're trying to do behind the scenes. So you kind of mm-hmm. couldn't go wrong um, because you either had his funny journal entries where you're going to love that character or you had all the scientists and NASA workers on earth trying to make up plans and, and uh, save him essentially. And yeah, yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. Now, Colin, uh, did you introduce this one to me or did I, to you, do you remember the chronology? I think I read it first. Okay. And that's, I liked it that's so usually much. the way it goes. Well, <laughs> not always. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked it so much. I told my running partners about it. Uh, I would, I totally geeked out about it. it Although, you know, in hindsight, it seems to be full of those technical details, which you don't often enjoy on a reread, Seth. It's true. Um, but yeah, I've read it, I think, five times since wow. I first read it. <laughs> I want to say it was October a year ago. Yeah, you were lamenting the fact that you weren't able to get in on at the ground level, you know, be one of the first readers. Yeah, I mean, to th- think about what an experience that would have been to watch mm-hmm. the evolution of the book and been part of the editing process, and then to see it come out as a movie—it's you know the you know, somebody's several authors' dreams. Yeah, I didn't know you'd reread it that many times. Oh yeah, uh, see, we should have had him do the story. <laughs> no kidding, that's I'm biased. five times. That's awesome. <laughs> what, what made you? Because I like the book, but what made you want to read it? Since you said just first time was last October. Yeah. So, so what made you want to read it five times in the last year? I was geeking out about the science, this idea that, you know, if he didn't figure out how to survive on Mars, he was going to die mm-hmm. um, and trying to put that off as long as he possibly could. So one, one is the science, just the details and stuff that I really like. Uh, the second is he is such a smart ass. <laughs> um, <True. laughs> I, I almost read the book 
in a comic sense, but even though there's a lot of drama going on, and I'll talk more about that when we get to the movie. Yeah. Uh, and I love having a book that I can share with people. So I shared it with my sons. I explained about the language in it. You know, they go to public school, so the language isn't a big surprise, but I don't often advocate things with language or tons of violence or tons of sexual content in it. So they would read it. One kid would finish and he was like, oh, that was totally awesome. And nice. the other kid would be like, well, was it my turn? So it was very fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember reading this one. I've now read it twice. I, I read it, tore through it the first time, really, really enjoyed it. Um, interestingly, though, Matt, like the parts that went back to NASA, I was impatient to get back to Mark. You know, I wanted to know mostly what was going on there. Um, but like Colin said, sometimes when, when I reread a book with a lot of kind of technical detail in it, like Jurassic Park, which is something that we covered before, the second time through, I'm like, I, I don't need this information. And I was worried that that would happen with The Martian. But it really didn't. I There were a few places where I, I started kind of almost going into skim mode where I'm like, okay, yeah, get to the next thing. But really the effect was that I really, really enjoyed the parts at NASA and JPL. Um, I, I really focused more on those the second time through, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. Okay, so that's our thoughts on the book. Everybody would recommend it. Yeah, definitely. Yep. You, you forgot to ask James. No, no. Didn't we already talk to James? Eh, close enough. Now, yep. you did not reread it. No, I did not. No, but high praise from you was the fact that after you read it, um, kind of when we we found out about the adaptation, um, I think when it got a date, um, in email, I actually have an email from you, James, that says, I may even break oh, yeah? with protocol and reread this one. Oh. <laughs> so typically not, not always up for the reread, Mr. James. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of hoping we would have somebody on who saw the movie first but but since we wanted to do it as quickly as possible after the movie came out you know it's colin can read a book in a day and and does sometimes but uh it wouldn't have been fair to, to ask him to and we would have had to like do a obliviate from harry potter on him to erase the previous read throughs yes sorry geeky reference and we're dorks what can you say so right uh matt one thing you don't know is that we're all sort of engineers of various stripes so like what kinds of engineers? Uh, Colin is a computer programmer, but he has an electrical engineering degree as well. Right, Colin? Mm-hmm. And then, James, what's yours? Computer engineering? Computer engineering, yep. yeah. Where I actually have an interdisciplinary engineering degree, that's it. But I work in kind of a software environment. So, so some of that stuff... Interdisciplinary in- means he couldn't decide. <laughs> it was, I, I went to a Christian engineering school and took the degree they offered. So, so the, do you think that... Uh, so I work in more uh, alumni relations at a college. So do you, do you think that the scientific stuff uh, resonated more with you guys? Uh, some of the scientific uh, specifics in the book and movie. Well, you know, the movie didn't dive into it as much as the book, of course. But uh, right. did you guys feel like that resonated with you a lot then? I did. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot because of that fact. And they went through all explaining everything they were doing and... I thought it was quite fortuitous for Mark that he had two degrees in the book anyway, yeah. one in botany and one in uh, mechanical engineering, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, like my dad was a chemist and so all, all the reactions, the reducing hydrazine and, right. and trying to create water. Yeah, I, like Colin said, I totally geeked out with that stuff. Yeah. And, and it, I didn't feel like it was – it certainly wasn't over my head with my level of scientific literacy. Um, 
But Matt, I don't know what your science background is. Was there anything in there that just kind of boggled your mind? You went, okay, I guess I'll accept that that's correct. Nothing. Yeah, maybe maybe that would be slightly true in the sense that nothing made me think like, what? What are they talking about? But it was more like, I just am going to believe that that's possible. <laughs> yeah. so, not necessarily <laughs> that I knew exactly how that was possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are some things, and we'll talk about some of them, that where like our understanding of Martian geography and and some of the other, or I guess, geology even, that have changed a bit since the book was written that yeah. I think Andy Weir would have wanted to address in the book if he'd known about them. Yeah, and I was thinking I w- about that too. That's pretty interesting because I was reading the, uh, the book. I was in the middle of it when the Water on Mars news came out. Yeah. Oh, we should definitely dive into that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, um, maybe we could... I I don't really have any gripes with the book. I mean, this is kind of where we would say, well, did you have any problems with it? Um, I I would say that I feel like most of the characters weren't terribly well developed, but I didn't really care because the story was engaging enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems to be the the most common criticism I've seen on the book is that the characters weren't terribly well developed. But I'm in the same boat with you. I didn't really care. I thought it was still awesome. So, so it was it was fun and it, it it tickled the right part of my brain. Yeah. Um, Colin had sent out an article and Matt, I sent it to you. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, um, where it was a guy talking about it. He, I didn't feel like he was slamming the book, but he was just kind of saying, well, let's calm down on calling this the best science fiction ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you got a chance to read that. I didn't have a chance to read it, but I have the link in front of me. So I'm going to okay. press it right now. You guys, I was going to read a yourselves. passage from it, but yeah. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on here. All right, you you have thirty seconds to skim. I totally thought that guy was slamming it. By the way, even though he said he wasn't, he's like, I still like the book, but so here's here's kind of the money quote. Um, it's like the third or fourth paragraph. If you do a Google search for Martian book review, you'll find a deluge of breathless headlines, all praising how wonderfully researched the science and engineering of the book seems to be. This kind of things while he's got a typo this kind of thing leads people to say things like greatest science fiction novel ever because apparently the only way to have good science fiction is to have the science be darn near 100 accurate i edit it for you matt i find this line of thinking not only patently closed-minded but also hopelessly reductive and so that that's kind of his point is that it's a big umbrella science fiction is and well the ironic part of that is that there was plenty of non-accurate science in the book sure yeah. Even even Weir uh, admits to it, mm-hmm. which, is, which is perfectly fine. It's science fiction. So I don't, I don't see the problem. Yeah. Well, I think people do tend to want to put stuff into buckets, you know, and so they're like hard science sure. fiction should be entirely scientifically accurate. But if we look at like the, the <clears throat> corpus of hard science fiction that we have, it's rigorous, but it doesn't have to be real. Right. And And so – but the problem is that this guy seems to say, hey, guys, don't put everything into buckets. But here's the bucket you should be looking at. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, he's like completely – he's saying that's a reductive argument and then he continues to make a very reductive argument the rest of the, the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't because know. Because you wrote science fiction that was you know, scientifically accurate and extremely accessible to the general public uh, and it took off like gangbusters, then therefore it cannot be good science fiction. Yeah, I didn't feel like he really said that. but yeah, That's kind of the sense that I got though too. I kind of have to agree with Colin on that one. Okay. I may be extending his argument, but it seems to be the way he was heading. I'm not really sure about you guys, but when I go to a movie like this or read a book like this, I'm not necessarily looking for it to be 
hundred percent scientifically accurate. I w- uh, yeah. No, no, of so, course not. It wouldn't be science fiction if it was yeah. entirely one hundred percent accurate. It'd be science book. But I'd be I, I, reading a textbook or something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's kind of weird when people bring this stuff up because uh, actually today when I left the theater, uh, my friend Scott was there with me, and one of the first things he said is, "Oh, I heard it was." really scientifically accurate i was like okay that's cool but and people had yeah, the same right. conversations after interstellar last year uh i just don't care about that kind of thing i just want to have mm-hmm. an enjoyable experience for my book or movie right yeah and and so if there's a fault with this article what i feel like it's it's saying is people don't like this book because it's a good book they like it because the science is accurate and i think that's totally wrong no i yeah. i think it's an enjoyable read and yeah it's cool that the science is there and i totally geeked out about it but there, you can like it on its own merits. It doesn't have to be this fantastic literature. I mean, we've certainly read more philosophical mm-hmm. books. And and he does talk in there about, you know, why why didn't we ever have any kind of musings about what it's like to be isolated? And that brought my mind back to that great passage in the Day of the Triffids, if you guys recall, um, where there is just like a couple pages long meditation on what loneliness is like in a post-apocalypse. But do we have to have that in all the books? I don't think we do. No, right. and I don't think it's it's true to the Watney character. No, and you know he. I guess he didn't find the character believable. I but I thought you know yeah, like you said, he's he's a wisecracker, and that might be a typical reaction to someone in that kind of circumstance. And that's why I didn't have such a problem with the language in the book because I I thought you know I'm willing to to give somebody a pass on some foul language when they're stuck on an, on a planet completely alone, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love the the character of Mark Watney, and I thought he was hilarious in the book. And the way that Matt Damon ended up uh, portraying him was a lot more serious. And I think it's because Matt Damon is such a great actor; he gets that emotion across. But uh, I mean, there were funny parts, of course, but mm-hmm. there, it was a different feel from book to movie for sure. Yeah, I'm not totally sure I agree, but um, may- maybe at this point uh, we want to sum up on the book and move to the movie. Sure. No sure. objections. I bet no we'll be hopping back and forth between the two Probably. throughout. Yeah, I, I think so. we're going to have to. Yeah, um, I I definitely felt like there was a good humor kind of component to the movie, um, not as much as the book. And I think I think part of it was in the book you're totally in Watney's head and you couldn't get quite as into his head mm-hmm. as in the book. So let, let me ask a question just about the humor from the movie. Yeah. Um, when you guys saw it, did you have a full theater or an empty theater or something in between? Totally packed. Totally packed. Yeah. James? Uh, something in between. Something in between. Would you go to Cornelius? Yep, on a Tuesday night. It was oh, great. Yeah. Okay. okay. There's, <laughs> there's a small town just west of us, um, Matt, where there's a theater that like you can go to first-run movies and always get a good seat. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, okay, mine, and you, Matt? Mine was all, all in, packed in, in the middle? Or? Yeah, in between as well. In between as well. So I saw it with 20 other people on a Monday night. Oh, wow. And no one laughed throughout the whole movie. Seriously? Yeah. What? Where did you see it? Movies on TV. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I went to it with my sister and my son, and I guess we went on, was it Friday? It was Friday. So yeah, it, was, Friday. it was opening night, and we went to the 8 o'clock showing. Um, actually, we went to Evergreen. Matt doesn't care about that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was seriously, like the parking lot was full all the way to the outside, and you guys know what that parking lot looks like. Right. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So it was it was very very well received and and you know to your point Colin uh, there were a lot of laughs in that theater. You I know, can't so believe I nobody laughed how, in uh, 
Sorry, Colin. I just can't believe nobody laughed in your theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the funny things happened. I laughed and there was like silence in the theater. And it, it made me think about wow. the movie experience because there is something to be said about watching it with a large group of people. But 20 people scattered in a large theater, uh, there was either a social barrier or none of those hmm. people thought it was funny or everyone was afraid to laugh because they didn't want to disturb everybody else or – I don't wow. know. No, it I was had, just crazy. Nah, similar experience in my theater here today. Very few laughs. I mean, of course, there were some obvious parts where everybody laughed, but it wasn't. I just felt like the movie was, or sorry, the book was humorous throughout, and almost every little passage for every uh, not day. So I said I used when I read it, I read it Soul, but in the movie they pronounce it Saul. How did you guys say it? I always said Soul. Soul. So okay, soul. yeah. So for every Soul he's writing, I feel like. There, uh, there were different funny parts, but in the movie, there were just a f- for me and for the audience that I was with. It seemed like there were a few laugh out loud parts. Hmm. Well, you know, part of that is we like we've griped about the trailer for a while because the trailer gave way too much away, and most yeah. m- most movie trailers these days will give away the funniest lines. And the unfortunate part is you don't you don't get back that first joke. Mm-hmm. So, or the best action scenes too. Yeah, yeah. So I I had stopped watching trailers for it because even though i had read the book like i didn't i didn't want the images in my head i wanted to see them fresh for the first time so after that initial trailer that came out no more yeah did you guys watch the media materials leading up to the movie kind of the viral video sort of things the the crew interviews and that kind of thing yeah aries live i think i watched a couple of them did you feel like that enhanced your your experience i did Hmm. It, it told me that there were going to be things that they just didn't have time to put in the movie um, but they must have taken the time to shoot some of them. And they even added a few things like the um, psychologist interviews with everybody oh. and the um, the welcome aboard Aries 3 thing that Matt Damon did. Um, <laughs> those were nowhere in the book, yeah, but yeah, you know, were, right. were nice additions. I thought the movie did a really nice job of handling uh, the profanity part because I thought I thought it would have been kind of weird to have him not use any – bad language and so to you know you got your kind of pg-13 i think you get two or three maybe now it used to be one mm-hmm. um but tv tropes calls it the tactical f-bomb um <laughs> where it's like you know a movie gets one and they use it to maximum advantage i thought kind of front-loading them there was effective and then i like the other places where it sort of let him swear but you didn't hear it or or you know you kind of saw that he was swearing on a screen um i thought that was cool that was pretty funny. Well, I think it pr- it provided some kind of comic relief moments too, right? Yeah, with uh, whoever the guy was that played Kapoor, Chiwetel Ejiofor, right? Right. I was um, prepared to go back and edit that several times so I could get it right, but, but I nailed it the first time. <laughs> Good job. I was afraid to say it. Yeah, and yep. you know, people mispronounce my name so much. It's a that's a a pet peeve of mine. So I didn't want to mess it up really badly. What are you talking about, Colin? Uh, I've been called Colin Kuski so many times in my life. Nice. See, this is where it's nice to have a name like Matt Anderson. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, nobody messes that up. Heasley, I get called Hensley all the time. What? And, <laughs> I'm, seriously. Well, and James, James you, re, you remember the Seath Heasel thing too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but where's yeah. the N? There's no N in there. I, I know. <laughs> and it's not like Hensley is a super popular name either. Right. So... Yeah, never, never really understood that one. Seth Hensley. Yeah, so we were talking about. Um, I I really like the biggest laugh that I remember in the theater was 
when Watney sort of does his freak out thing over the text and, and they're showing F-bombs, but with dash, dash, dash and that kind of stuff. And, and then they tell him, whoa, t- tone it down. You know, this is all public. Right. And, it's being broadcasted live. <laughs> yes. And in the book, that's where he did one particular thing uh, that was really immature. But in this one, I like the fact that they just showed the reactions of everybody. I thought that was really effective. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Effective. It was just like Alfred Hitchcock with horror. Only this time mm-hmm. it was with humor. Yeah, I love that. Right. All right. Further thoughts. Colin. What do you got to say? Yeah, you know, the missing the I missed the humor a lot, and I missed a lot of the scientific detail, but it didn't it didn't make the story suffer. Hmm. I think I'm ready to talk about differences between the story and the book. Yeah, I guess we didn't really give our overall overall impressions of the movie. Did did everybody like the movie? That's what I'm asking. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, I thought it was a great movie. It was a good drama, sci-fi ish. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know I, that I, I would read it or watch it five times in a year, but I'll watch it over again for sure. Okay. Yeah, I definitely liked it. I think I may have liked it more if I hadn't read the book, though. That's exactly my thought. Um, like I was regretting that I had just reread the book, and <laughs> and this is why I wanted to ask James because he didn't reread it, and so some of the I'm glad I did not reread the book. Okay, yeah, that's what I, I think. Feel. I think I would have fallen into the same boat that Collins in right now for rereading the book, and Collins always missing some of it from the movie. Yeah, it's not just this book and movie combination, by the way. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's every book our, and movie combination. <laughs> well, except for the really reductive ones, the the itty bitty ones like uh, they live, and eight oh, o'clock right. in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, we we've, we've covered some things <laughs> where like we have a short story and a full length movie, and the short story is literally like four pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you're kind of more okay with changes when it has to be expanded than when you have to chop something up. Right, right. So this movie was the first time where I was kind of thinking. Because I usually have the rule that I want to read the book first. If I know I'm going to see the movie and there's a book out there, I'll read the book first. But I'm I'm starting to think maybe that's the wrong method for overall enjoyment. Because I bet I would still have enjoyed this book if I went and read it after I saw the movie. But I yeah. but I can't get that movie enjoyment experience back. And since I did like it, not to say I didn't like it, but I don't know. Did, if you guys ever saw The Hunger Games, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, I had a similar experience with that where I had just read the book. Uh, actually, all all three of the books, and then I saw the first movie, and I thought the movie was good, and the people I went with that hadn't read the books really liked it, but it was almost like I was just waiting for every story beat to happen, and mm-hmm. I knew exactly what was coming next, and I don't know, it almost, th- there was like a semi-emptiness to yeah. both The Hunger Games and then to The Martian, because I knew the book so well, I think. I, I, but mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it. I did enjoy it. I'm just wondering... What is the best method? Read the book first or see the movie first? I don't know. I think case by case. Um, you right. know, I think a book like this definitely would have rewarded seeing the movie first. And then you could have really just dove into, dived into, whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the more technical stuff in the book. The book would have almost been like the director's cut of the movie. Where, oh, here's all the other mm-hmm. things that you missed. Because like that, the entire journey, and now we're talking about some of the differences. The entire journey to... Scaparelli crater, you know, was disappeared essentially from the movie. And that, that was one of my favorite parts mm. of the book. Is that, wait, is that, is that the one to the pathfinder or to the Mav four? Or, or to, the, to the Mav yeah, four. To the Aries mm-hmm. four. Yeah, yeah. Aries four. Aries four Mav. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand why, why they're going to take something like that out. And I could kind of immediately identify as soon as I saw the rovers, I thought those don't look as spacious as what I pictured. Mm-hmm. And I figured they're, once he loads all that stuff up, I'm not sure that they're going to do the thing where he rolls the, the rover. And, oh, and right. of course, they didn't. They, all no. of that was gone. 
you know, there was a scene in the trailer where it looked like the rover was going over some sort of, not cliff, but kind of like coming up on the hill that I don't think was in the movie. Yeah, they may have shot some of that stuff. That's quite possible. They do that quite a bit, so. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really looking forward to an expanded edition of this. Yeah, I'll be curious if we get one. Because, I mean, part of the reason that they kind of said, okay, we're now going to cut to four months later or eight months later, whatever it was, when they did the transition from your normal healthy-looking Matt Damon to Matt Damon's butt double, um, <laughs> or I- I'm assuming it, was, it wasn't him, but it might have been him just having lost some amount of weight. Um, I don't I th- think it was him. I, yeah, I'm not sure it was him. I thought the they did some interesting camera effects that kind of made it a little harder to figure out what was what you were seeing um, because it was being recorded. Um, right. I mean, not quite like found footage, but that journal kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I understand why they kind of cut from that to the skinnier guy. And it reminded me of Castaway because you have, you know, right. Tom Hanks on the island and then you cut back and all of a sudden he's got this enormous beard and he's spearing fish. <laughs> And eating them raw. Mm-hmm. And so, doing it really well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Seth, you said you you missed, or you liked the part in the book, so you sort of missed it in the movie. What did uh, What did you guys think, Colin and James? Uh, yeah. which, which part in particular? Like, did or you, you, did you were just... you missing the part where uh, the rover it tips over and there's a storm that he has to avoid and all that stuff? And they never had the part where he lost communication with Earth. Right. He, he right, never burned right. up the Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. No, I, I didn't really find myself missing too much in the between the book and the movie. Like I said, I, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to reread it. Yeah, because <laughs> I thought that would happen, and so I'm glad I didn't. Uh, but to go back to your question earlier, Matt, I usually prefer reading the book first and wa- then watching the movie because the the book itself kind of gets me excited about the movie. Whether or not it's going to ruin it or not is arbitrary. Because I typically imagine when I read the book, I tend to imagine it better than the movie can do for me anyway, mm-hmm. and so. I just kind of expect that to happen. Yeah, if that makes any the, sense. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I missed the hot tub. Oh right, I forgot. Oh about yeah, the hot tub. <laughs> uh, I, I missed some of the other things. You know, the little things. And yeah, I, I missed the storm. And I think it would have been nice to have one challenge. But again, you're trying to make a movie that appeals to a very broad audience, and it's got to be time limited. There just wasn't enough room for everything. Yeah, I think he had plenty of challenges though in the movie. I mean, there a lot of a lot of the stuff was pretty well communicated that it was, you know, challenging and difficult, and I think that for me that came across. Yeah, the, now, the drama aspect of it came across pretty well. So one thing that I thought was adapted really well was what one of the moments that I really liked in the book was when he's burning the the hydrogen and <laughs> and, and in in the journal thing he says and everything Kaboom. was going really well until the explosion, <laughs> um, and it was that was a cool way to do it in a book. You don't. You don't really get that in a movie, but the way right. they the way they handled it, where he's like woohoo and celebrating, and then it blows up, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, yes, it was, it was a, like right. it was the perfect way to translate it between the two media. I like that too, and that was one of the only moments in my theater where people laughed out loud. Nice, and 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 I liked the way he looked when he sat down to kind of do his journal update. He's like, burns. yeah, so blew <laughs> myself up. <laughs> yeah, that was good. that was cool. Little homage to the MythBusters in there because he touches his eyebrow just like. Right. Uh, I leaned over to my son and said, am I missing an eyebrow? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and there were some things the movie did really, really well. The scene you mentioned, Seth, where we're seeing Matt Damon from the from the back when he's skinny, unhealthy Matt Damon. And really dirty. And really dirty. I mean, I actually didn't get that from the book. Yeah. But, you know, when it's there in front of your eyes, it does it really, really well. Mm-hmm. 
um, the tension between Mitch Henderson and his boss. Yeah, we haven't really talked about the Earth side of the movie. True. Well, well wait, before I thought the director was going to get fired in the movie. Uh, yeah. The Jeff Daniels guy? Yeah. Hmm. For skipping skipping those inspections? That would have been a huge, huge no no. Yeah, you'd Speaking think. from a federal service experience. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. He would have been canned hard for that. Okay, but, but how awesome was it <laughs> to have Sean Bean sitting in the room when they're talking about the Council of Elrond? And oh, Sean yeah. Bean didn't die. Oh, right. man. I know. I thought I loved that part. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was he awesome. did get fired, though. That's true. Right. Yeah, is that yeah. The, that's the equivalent of death in this type of movie. I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, the Lord of the Rings reference is pretty awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Hey, w- one thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about what Matt Damon looked like uh, after seven months. He-, he had a bunch of little injuries and scratches and bruises. And that's something that didn't, just like you were saying, Seth, didn't really come across in the book as much. That, yeah, that would be not just a lot of work, but hazardous and painstaking. And I'm sure he was left with a bunch of different minor injuries from all the work he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, it makes right. sense. It, it kind of speaks to his shorthand for he's been through some stuff since since we cut away. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Earth side. And there's always in Hollywood the complaints that this movie is whitewashed, that they've changed, you know, race changed characters. Um, and when I was reading the book and I saw the name Mindy Park – Having known a lot of Korean people with the name Park, I just assumed that she was Korean. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm almost positive that in the book it describes her as Asian because that's exactly how I uh, pictured her as well. What about, okay. what about you guys? Yeah, yeah. I huh. thought she was Asian. James? I don't remember her being Asian. <laughs> yeah. I, I went back and kind of scoured it and and looked to see if there were any clues. And I think kind of along the lines of uh, – character development being lacking a little bit, I feel like Andy Weir didn't describe people very exhaustively, Mm-mm. which is fine with me um, because, uh, Matt, you, of course, weren't there for it, but our, on our Contact podcast, there's this whole section in the book Contact, I don't know if you've read it, mm-hmm. um, where like Carl Sagan gives you the whole dossier of this whole group of people at some conference um, and describes all of them. And I, and I was just like, this is so worthless. It does not need to be there. Hmm. Yeah, oh, along those same lines, they changed the name of Vincat to Vincent. Yes, to Vincent, yeah. Not a huge deal, I guess, but... No, and as soon as they called him Vincent, I thought, okay, this is this is how they do it in Hollywood, where they're like, well, this guy's brown enough to play somebody who's somewhat Indian. <laughs> um, and to some extent, like, I don't have a problem with it that they're, that they're going to say, we want this actor for, for a role. But I think I would rather have had them just call him Vincent you know, something that sounds Nigerian or, or something else and just not made him Kapoor. Now, I'm curious to get um, Colin's take on this. So, yeah, I thought Mandy Park was Asian. And, <laughs> you know, if you have to sacrifice a lot to get the d- actor that you want in a role, maybe it's better to cast another actor. Yeah, I suppose so. But, yeah, it, it may just be that we want to work with this actor and, and here's the juiciest part for him to have – um, because Venkat Kapoor was a major player in the book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, was Naveen Andrews not available from Lost? Um, Matt, I know that. Uh, Colin, you don't know this. Matt is a, a huge Lost fan. Yes, thank and, you. Oh, cool. not, not just that. A huge Lost geek. Um, <laughs> I, I loved the episode where you had, like, the trivia smackdown with the other guy on your show <laughs> yeah, about Lost. We invited another listener on who was, uh, who he is, a huge Lost fan. So I challenged him to a trivia contest and... 
I mean, of course I won because yeah, yeah. I'm the biggest lost fan. <laughs> I, I will say I was holding my own most of the way, but I think you got me too. Thank you. Uh, now I lost where we were. Well, we were talking about Mindy oh. and you were talking about how they had possibly changed some different characters from how they should have been in the book. Yeah, or I guess I was picturing certain traits with, with characters and and it didn't really bother me that Mindy Park was a white girl. I just assumed that she was Korean. And it's possible, like you said, Matt, it may be in there, but I don't know. But then there's like Bruce Ng from um, JPL. Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, you know, he is played by Benedict Wong. So, you know, that's he's British, but he is of Chinese ancestry. So that was cool. I always pictured Rich Parnell, Parnell as a kind of grizzled old you know, astrophysicist instead of a, you know, bright and chipper young guy, but he, mm-hmm. the guy knocked the part out of them. He, he was terrific. Part. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess he's from community, which I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen an episode. Me either. Yeah. Yeah, oh. he is. He was, he's, uh, he's, I think he's a great actor. I like him. Yeah. I yeah, love, he did a good job. I love community. James, have you watched community? Yes. Okay. So awesome. <laughs> only people that have seen the, that show will understand this reference, but I felt like, so on community, uh, he played uh, a character whose best friend's name was Abed. And I, I think that Donald Glover mm-hmm. in this role was playing an Abed type character, basically, because he, mm. I don't know. So that's for community fans. Watch for that. Kind of, yeah. He was, he was very adroit. Well, like just <laughs> the way bad. he delivered his lines. I mean, not necessarily personality, but the way he delivered his lines. What about um, Cri- so Kristen Wiig? That was kind of a surprise. That was. I felt like she was way underused, though. The, but the role was perfect for her. I think, like the who Annie is in the book, I could totally see Kristen Wiig. Yeah, but and that's that's kind of I feel like she was not Annie enough in the movie. I mean, they like they didn't show enough of her because you didn't really see her doing like the press conferences and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, though I did like like that first one with Jeff Daniels where he gave one like monosyllabic answers to everything. Yes. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I just realized in all of her press conferences and I just saw the movie, so I'm pretty sure this is true. She's always standing to the side. I don't think she actually led any of them. Yeah. And and that was. Yeah, she definitely. I felt like she didn't get as big of a part in the movie as she had in the book. Yeah, and the ending in the book, I think, was quite a bit different. I mean, you're talking about someone who she was the public relations director, but as soon as she comes off the podium, she swore more than Matt Damon did, more than yeah, Mark yeah. Watney did. Oh, she was really True. dirty, right? Yeah, she had an edge to her that you didn't really see in the movie. No, yeah. So my favorite thing, though, about the movie, other than just the fact that you know. Mars was featured, um, you know, the, like the spectacle of it I loved, but but really my favorite thing was showing the nuts and bolts side from like JPL and when they were like um, building something there that Watney would have to be doing on Mars and testing it. Right. I thought that was cool because you didn't get much of that in the book. No, but it was pretty cool. Yeah. They talked about it but not showed it, mm-hmm. but didn't show it. Yeah. Where they were like doing A-team builds. They did do that in the book. I remember them. Like Watney, Watney stated that pretty much everything he was doing Their that they were telling him to do, he, he had been prototyped in on Earth so it should work type thing. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it was just cool to see it though. That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I thought it was cool he fell through the roof. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. <laughs> now, one thing that is glaringly missing from the movie is the, um, the ceiling resin. Like oh, the, yeah. the special seal patches that they have. Yeah, it's called duct tape, duh. Right. <laughs> and yet, um, even though I missed those those seal things, I thought like one of the tensest scenes of the movie was when he's putting duct tape onto his mask. I thought that was cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we would have seen something very similar from another Mars movie, Mission to Mars, um, where they used their sealing resin to, to fix some things. Oh, interesting. 
So let me ask another question about differences between the movie and the book. Yeah. And this is probably just my ignorance, but I expected Hab Canvas to look like Canvas instead of a this plastic queen? tarp. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, was that just me or? No, it, it's like they had different definitions for it because when they said that they would cover uh, the, the Mav – at Ares 4 with Hab Canvas, he ended up covering that with something that looked very different from what he had been using earlier. Because earlier right. it just looked like duct tape and plastic sheeting. Mm-hmm. It looked like a parachute he covered mm-hmm. the map with. Yeah, it kind of did. Yeah, it looked more like nylon than canvas. Right. Even then. Yeah. yeah. But but they had already made some pretty substantial changes to the the way the Hab was put together. Because you kind of got the impression in the book that it was essentially just inflated. Mm-hmm. There, yes. there, there weren't a lot of rigid surfaces um, or supports, right. and they did they did a, a little differently in the movie. Yeah, especially about the part where he needs to steal some hab canvas to work on the rover, so he right. can take it. Um, so he deflated it, deflated it, cut it out, and then reinflated it. And it was this idea that it worked because you could cut out a section of a dome, and it would still be a dome even if it was lopsided. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- I think that's just shortcuts that you're going to take in a movie. You have limited time, and there's already way too much to put in. Right, yeah. right. So for me, the biggest change that I thought was negative was the Iron Man thing. Oh, I think I actually think that worked for me. Because, oh, really? Only because in the book, I felt like when it finally got to the end, after Mark had done all this stuff to keep himself alive, in the end, his crew became almost the heroes of the you know, at third act. And, mm-hmm. and so I felt like his role was really taken away. So it, by doing the Iron Man thing in the movie, it gave him a chance to have a more proactive role in his okay. own rescue. Gave I, him more agency. I also loved that they changed who was the person rescuing him as opposed oh, yeah? to if moving, moving it to the commander instead of Beck. I thought that was hmm. a good move. Yeah. See, my problem with that was then what do we need Beck for? Right. I mean, he, he's, he's supposed to be the EVA specialist for the mission. So he's absolutely the best guy to do it. But I think that she was worried that, I mean, it was another sacrifice. She didn't know if it could be done, and she didn't want to risk sure. another guy. And, but they all, in the book, it, you know, this is not as explicit in the movie, but in the book it said they all had specialties, but they had multiple specialties. And so sure. I'm sure that's not the only thing he was there for. But yeah, I get what you're right. saying. He was the most Well, he was qual- the doctor too, right? He was by far the most qualified, but she didn't want to risk another person. I think it was, of all the changes... That was the best change, I think. Okay. That whole last scene. It, it does let her kind of step out of that, you know, I destroyed Mark to having a chance to bring him, to be the person who brings him back in. Colin, are you presenting that as a redemption story? I could. Because Colin does love a good <laughs> redemption story. TM. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say about that is I did feel like that was totally consistent with Commander Lewis's character to do that. Um, she's like, I'm not going to risk anybody else to do this. So I guess, I guess I'm, I'm softening on my view on that. I think that casting wise, they nailed the, uh, Ares three team. The, uh, like the Herme- a, Hermes crew. Is yeah. Not Ares. About? Yeah. Hermes. Yeah. The, the, oh. I thought everyone was, was perfectly cast. Yeah. That was another cool thing about the movie was, was the Hermes craft. It was cool to see that with the whole spinning thing. With yeah. It was pretty sweet. Remind me of Babylon five. <laughs> oh, Nice. Yeah, I'm not geeky enough to have watched that. Oh, yes. yeah. I they did the same they, thing in Babylon 5. <laughs> I hope that when they put out the DVD and Blu-ray that they do some behind-the-scenes stuff because I want to know how they did the Zero-G effects. Mm-hmm. If it was wire work or if they did some more work like they did on Apollo 13 in, a, mm-hmm. you know, in the Vomit oh, Comet. Yeah. 
It looked like wire work to me. It seemed a little too smooth in places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But another thing, I just, I love watching those, the director's commentaries and stuff. Like uh, uh, Ron Howard was talking through shot after shot after shot, and he could tell you where every single shot was taken and how it was done. And it just, it amazed me the level of detail that he still had about this movie that had been made, you know, years and years ago. Mm -hmm. Guys, I have to admit something. What's that? I've never seen (laughs) Apollo 13. Really? I know it's crazy. No kidding. I love Tom Hanks. Uh, I like Ron Howard. I I don't know why I haven't seen it. It's not on Netflix. (laughs) I I haven't purchased a (laughs) Blu-ray. So I know I need to correct it, but I just haven't seen it. Yeah. If you're going to see homework. it, see the, spec- the special collector's edition and, and just plan a whole day. Just it's Apollo 13 day. Okay. <laughs> and, and watch the commentaries, watch the, the, the documentaries, um, watch the interviews with the people that were still alive from Apollo 13, the actual mission. It's mm-hmm. totally worth it if you want to geek out over something astronomical. Yeah. All right. I saw that movie for the first time on an IMAX screen, which was awesome. Wow. Um, I, I think I was in Texas at the time, so – that was cool. And that, that's a really good movie. All right. So, and, you know, it's, I think you would find it somewhat similar to this one. Uh, I just found, I just went on Amazon. So it looks like there's a 20th anniversary edition. Is that the one you're talking about? A Blu-ray? I believe it is. All right. I'll add it to my cart. It better be good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I borrowed a copy from a friend of mine who is a science teacher and NASA, NASA ambassador. And she loaned it to, uh, to our family for me and the kids to watch. And it was very enjoyable. It was awesome. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out. You guys all if saw anybody... Interstellar, right? Yes. We did all see it. Yes. Okay. So I did not care for it. I, I felt pretty good about it after seeing it, uh, but not as good as other Nolan movies. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, before seeing this, some people were kind of saying, I wonder, not, not if there's literally a connection like in real life, but right. uh, just kind of joked about there possibly being a connection between the two movies. But man, th- these are... While some of the visuals are similar, such different feeling movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I had written down something I was impressed with in the movie was that they, they stayed with the delayed communication idea. I was afraid they were going to dumb that down and, and make it so they could talk real time or something. Well, it would have been science fiction if they did. <laughs> it would have eliminated several challenges, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I remember learning in a psychology class, and this is a, a kind of a tangent here. Um, go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an experiment that was done with rats, and I promise this will come around, um, where they would take rats and put them in a bucket and see how long they would swim before giving up. They had no hope of getting out of it. How long would they swim? And they'd swim to a certain point and then drown. And they would time it, and it was pretty consistent. But what they found was if they went to basically that time and then rescued the rat and then put it back in, that rat would swim for just enormous periods of time because it had the hope of being rescued. And that I kind of wondered about that in Watney's kind of situation. If he had basically done all the math and said, there's no possible way I can ever be rescued, would he have just given up or would he have tried to get as close to rescue as possible? He's, in the book, it said he would have given up. Um, doc, uh, the German guy who was the doctor had enough morphine on hand that he could, he could kill himself. And mm. it's mentioned in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I do remember he, he did have enough for like a fatal dose. But, yeah, he, he didn't want to starve to death because he knew how awful that would be. That would be. Um, I was mentioning earlier there have been some recent discoveries on Mars. Like, like Matt was saying, there was the, the, 
they figured out that there is flowing liquid water that periodically happens on the surface of Mars, which is really cool. Um, but the reason that the water can flow, the reason it doesn't freeze and the reason it doesn't just boil off like uh, the book talked about water boiling off because of the low pressure is because it's really, really salty water. But the kind of salts that are in there are perchlorate salts. Um, and the soil on Mars is also, or I guess the regolith or whatever you'd call it, is also saturated with perchlorates, which are extremely toxic to people. And I'll, I'll put a, um, in the show notes, there's a SciShow episode that talks about perchlorates. Um, and I think this is one of those things that if Andy Weir had known about it, he would have figured out a way for Watney to neutralize the perchlorates because it would have been possible. And as I understand it, um, neutralizing them releases oxygen, which is always good. Oh, nice. unless <laughs> in, unless you have too much oxygen and hydrogen <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah i think i think that's one of those things that that he would have gotten right if he had known about it but it's it's a recent discovery so but it's cool to have you know a piece of fiction that tries to stick so close to the science that he gets most things right well and maybe he would have only discussed it and said uh you know i could have gone with the perchlorate reduction reaction yeah. but I didn't have these chemicals or it was harder. And, you know, who doesn't want to light hydrogen and oxygen on fire in their, you know, hab dorm with right. <laughs> no oxygen, no atmosphere right. outside? Yeah, but the, the big problem would be the, the soil, the, the dust, yeah, the yeah, potatoes, the dust right? from the soil that he brought in would, would have been in the air and he would have ended up inhaling it and he would have gotten very sick. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the radiation problem. There is the radiation problem. That's the big, the big trouble. Maybe perchlorate secretly make humans radiation proof. There we go. <laughs> Matt, Matt, are you familiar with the the problem of radiation and, and that it wasn't addressed? Uh, I wasn't familiar with that problem, but I could see how radiation could be a problem. Yeah. Colin, you want to go? You want to explain it for, for anyone in our listenership who doesn't know? You know, I might uh, might exceed that request back to the person who has more science experience than I do. Oh, oh so James? No. <laughs> Uh, no, so the main problem is, you know, on Earth we're protected uh, from stellar radiation by the atmosphere, right? Right. On Mars and in space, in spacecraft, you don't have that kind of natural shielding from the atmosphere. So you have to have it in some other way. So you can kind of retcon in that the Hermes craft is extremely well shielded from radiation. And so, right. because otherwise, like the big problem would be that crew that that went the extra 500 days or whatever it was in the Hermes, their cancer risk would have gone way, way, way high when they got oh. back to Earth. Um, and even on the surface of Mars with the thin kind of wispy atmosphere they have there, um, mm-hmm. the HAB canvas would also have to have some magical property that would protect them from, from all that radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of just have to think it's assumed, I suppose. Yeah, and, and, and it's one of those things. I think you can just apply liberal amounts of hand wavium and, and it goes mm-hmm. away. Um, <laughs> well, and they right. did the radiation thing already in the movie Red Planet. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. See, I haven't seen that one. So. Hey, well, if you want to come over and watch the movie afterwards. Sounds good. Yeah, this is my first Martian movie other, other, other than, than Total um, Recall. Total Recall, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I didn't even think about Total Recall as a Martian movie yeah. when I think about the movies I've seen. So I saw the TV adaptation of The Martian Chronicles. Andy Weir thinks of Total Recall as a Martian movie. FYI. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Mission to Mars. There's Red Planet. Uh, I know there's always one other that I forget. I'm, I'm not knowing. Oh, there's uh, Last Days on Mars or something. Right, the Leo Schreiber one. Which is also adapted sci-fi. Oh, nice. Although we've, we've stayed away from the horror genre pretty closely so far. Yeah, we did the thing and that was scary enough for me. <laughs> but now we're going to do something else at the end of October. 
true. And we, we will talk about that. Um, there was one other thing. Oh, right. The storm, right? It's, it's pretty well established that you can't get that kind of aggressive storm on Mars that would have caused the entire evacuation just because the atmosphere is so thin. Right. You can still get high wind velocities, but because of the low pressure, um, they just, they don't have that kind of force. So, and Andy Weir is aware of that and, and he full well knowing it went ahead and yep. did it anyway. Yeah. I wondered low if low pressure and low, low density as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if that was influenced by mission to Mars, uh, which actually has an atmospheric event as part of the plot. Mm. It's, it's strong enough to throw rocks and, and bury people in sand and do other things. I don't know. But, you know, I'm kind of okay with, with a few things that you have to leap to because there weren't that many of them. Yeah, I'm okay with it too. All right. Any other thoughts, you guys? I, I missed the whole uh, Aquaman quote. That was pretty funny. What's he thinking right now? Yeah. <laughs> How is it Aquaman can control whales? They're mammals. <laughs> Yeah, I think almost everything that the movie added, uh, how should I put this? Maybe because I just read the book, I felt like all the parts that the movie added were some of my favorite parts. And so, like you had mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. I, I liked how they didn't show us what Matt Damon had or what Mark Watney had wrote, uh, even though we knew it was inappropriate. I kind of liked that conversation between Mindy and um, Vincent about when, when Mark said, are you kidding me? And they were trying to decide. Yeah, that was funny. What, you know, was it? I'm, are you kidding me in a negative way or in a kind of a? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that part. Uh, and then, yeah. like I mentioned earlier, I really liked how they changed the final rescue. So I, I thought what the movie changed was good, but the book is still better. Yeah. How, how did you feel about the little uh, epilogue at the end where oh. we talk about you know where Mark Watney goes next? Oh, I was r- shocked that they did that because. When the book ends, obviously he's still on Hermes, and so I imagine. And I don't. I hope this isn't true, but you know, with the way things go in today's culture, if a book is popular, they're going to try to do a sequel out of it. And so there's room to play with a sequel in the book world now because they're still on Hermes heading home in the movie universe now. That that story is pretty much done. I mean, you've got uh, Martinez going back up into space, so maybe something could happen there. I'm not. I'm not anticipating a sequel. I'm just saying that really puts more of a wrap-up hmm. fill uh, on, on Mark Watney's story. more kind of so finalizes than, the story? Yeah, more so than the book did yeah. by far. Well, yeah, you, though you could make an argument that you, you could have a future movie where, with him as the mission commander, um, not, not you know, like the, uh, the Sean Bean character, not the yeah. person in space. But. Man, but I love that character. Like, he's, yeah. he's a guy I could, you know, definitely follow in different stories in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a Talk about stories in the future and how things get influenced. Uh, back in July, someone announced an antenna design that would actually be it is small enough. It was about, I want to say, six by five inches. But it had enough receiving capability to actually talk all the way to Earth. Oh, wow. And it, it made me wonder, right, if this has influenced NASA in any way to say, if we were going to plan a Mars mission or a long-term moon mission or whatever – what tools do we give people to survive in these extraordinary circumstances that you hear about in books that make great stories? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would think they would be, they would build as much redundancy in as they could. And so they'd probably make it so the rover could, you know, without having to have a software update already talk to earth. Although I did like that part in the book and, you know, being, being a bit of a computer nerd and I know you guys, um, Colin and James, at least, you know, updating the actual hex code um, <laughs> to, to force it to, to do a software update. That was pretty cool. I've done that. I figured. 
Okay. What? Usually at this point, Matt, we rank them where we just say which we liked better. Okay. Um, and you, I think you already expressed that. I did spoil that I liked the book better, although I did like this movie, and I didn't know until I saw the credits that uh, Drew Goddard, who is a screenwriter I, I enjoy, he actually mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay for this, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I think at some point he was attached to direct it, but he had other projects going on. Yeah, Ridley Scott's good too, though. So, thank yeah, you. yeah. All right, uh, James, what do you think? Uh, I'm probably have to go with book movie. For the close margin, though, it was a great movie. Yeah. And Colin, do I even have to ask? <laughs> I'm going to go with James. You know, book movie, but not in the usual distance that I usually talk about. Sure. I mean, hey. there were there were different things, and I I could enjoy the differences, but I still will. Like I said, you know, I'll probably read the book yearly. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, I like I like the book better than the movie, but it's it's a close margin. I feel like it's as good an adaptation as we probably could have gotten. Yeah. So the, for the good. things that could have happened, this is an incredible movie. Yeah. Right. And as okay. of, as of today, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at ninety four percent. So nice. That's awesome. Well, um, we we have plumbed the bottom of the tomato meter quite a bit, Matt, in, in, in our on our show, because um, we've covered some really really lousy adapted science fiction. Um, oh, not yeah. on not on purpose. We we went in with the best intentions of of watching good things, and some of them just turned out to not be. So, which uh, movie that we just did that was a six percent? Uh, a Sound of Thunder. A Sound of Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. But it was a great episode because Phil was on it with us. That was cool. It's nice when you get smart people on, like Matt. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. So at this point, um, maybe uh, we should throw it back to Matt and uh, have you kind of give a plug for your show and where can people find it? And you can talk about your other projects as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, my main podcast is uh, called The Sci-Fi Christian, which is at thescifichristian.com. And uh, last year, with a couple other friends, I started a new podcast called Comic Book Time Machine, which, again, you can find at comicbooktimemachine.com. On Sci-Fi Christian, we talk about theology and pop culture and obviously science fiction and all that stuff but on comic book time machine we look at comics from the past the present uh not so much the future but yeah know. if you figure that out that would be impressive yeah, that would be that'd be pretty good <laughs> but yeah so it could be from any era of comic history that's cool i, f- I figured james that might be up your alley because i think you're uh, you read more comics than the other two of us i just watch a lot of cartoons based on comics oh, okay <laughs> I think we're about wrapped. We'll we'll talk about what we're going to do next. But I I wanted to say you know before we sign off, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. It was really cool having you. Oh man, yes, thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, guys, so much. I had a great time, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So it's been uh, really just a lot of fun to be able to sit down with you guys and, and talk about this great movie and book. Yeah, and uh, you know if you in the future if you come up with an idea for something that we could cover, uh, we could always have you back. Perfect, That'd be cool. Well, yeah, yeah, let's definitely keep in touch about that. That'd be fun. Yeah. So in terms of what we're doing next, we do still have The Iron Giant to consider. We do. Um, I, I still haven't read the book or watched the movie, so um, I will be doing that at some point, I think. And then we'll record that one. But our big sort of feature for November was originally our, our, our October title because it seemed like a Halloween kind of title. And that's Frankenstein because there's a new movie coming out with James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe called Victor Frankenstein. And... So we were going to read the book and watch some adaptations of it because there's so many, it's impossible to hit all of them. Um, but that we will be doing that at some point in November. I don't know the release date of that movie. I don't know if you guys know. It's in late November, I think, actually. Yeah, they had actually, Matt, I don't, you, you might not know about this. They swapped them. They're the same production company as The Martian. And yeah. The Martian was originally <laughs> slated for November. 
Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Totally came, screwed us up. <laughs> I, I I did think it came out earlier than I was anticipating, <clears throat> but I wasn't positive on the release date, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I think that trailer came out and it was so well received. They're like, we, let's get this thing out there. Right. So, IMDb has it at November twenty fifth. Okay, so that's end of November. So right. we'll, we'll get the Iron Giant out in between there. So you guys have read it, and and um, Matt has has a youngin. Would that book be appropriate to read for a young child? Totally. Oh yeah. Well, especially since she's under a year at this point. Yeah, she basically just has to listen to whatever I read. Yeah. <laughs> so you there do was com- a- comic books most of the time. <laughs> well, no, we do a lot of uh, if you give a mouse a cookie uh, and, uh, and all those books. Uh, I've seen those flying through on your Goodreads feed. Yes, I I review every book I read, including all of the children's books. So yeah, yeah. it's an eclectic nice. list you have going there. It's <laughs> like comic books and Dune and all these kids' books. So. Yeah, yeah, lots of science fiction, lots of Christian nonfiction, lots of children's books, and then tons of graphic novels. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're signing off, I guess. So, oh, you know what? I just realized we do have some Facebook comments. I wanted to at least sort of address. Well, Phil Nichols, who was a guest star on one of our previous episodes, talked about the lack of character development. Oh, interesting. You know, said, uh, just a quote from here, some of the characters will seem horribly cardboard. And this was in, you know, looking at the the movie uh, in the past and the distance. And that just goes to to say what we were talking about. There's not a lot of character development. We're there to watch uh, Mark Watney, not these Mm -hmm. other characters. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we also got a comment from Rem from the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, and um, one thing that he said was the movie did lack a bit of the feel of the trip he took to the other Mav, which we talked about that, where we just didn't get that trip at all. Um, but he says, but it was a very faithful ad- adaptation of the book. Both are winners. So thanks for the comment, Rem. And then uh, Michael Simshauser replied to that and uh, oh, cool. echoed the same thing. He's, there's a quote from... Uh, from Stephen King on Stand By Me, which was adapted from The Body. And it's like, apples and oranges are different, but equally delicious. And for a great adaptation like this, I think that's a great, great comparison. Agreed. Uh, my sister said that uh, her oldest son just recently saw it and can't stop talking about it. So that's cool. <laughs> and then we had a comment from from Malkfoy as well. And oh, I'm I'm interested what you guys think of this. He says, I love the movie. There's a couple of things missing that would have been nice to see, but makes sense to trim for the movie. Hard watch for preteens, though. Um, oh, what do you guys think? Age appropriateness of the movie? Hmm, I don't, I don't think I would have. Do, do you think he meant that because of the language, which was I, I thought mild? I think he meant it because minimal. of what what he says later on about the slow roll of the plot, which is very. It, I agree with him. It's it's kind of typical of Ridley Scott. Sure. Yeah, I think that's probably what he means is that that it's not necessarily something that would hold the attention of a younger kid. Right. Because my son really enjoyed it, and he's 14, and he's, you know, a little uh, ADD about movies, kind of like his dad. Um, because, like, seriously, Ridley Scott movies typically don't do anything for me. I, Blade Runner and Alien. Right. I like Alien. Blade Runner I haven't seen in a long time, but I don't remember liking it. Um, so and I didn't feel like this movie was slow. I felt like it was a, a, appropriately paced. You know, Mark uh – Malk also mentioned that uh, maybe the reason they have Lewis is to make it a bit more of a stronger female movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, Matt said that was one that was one of the things he liked, so that's cool. All right, well, thanks everybody who commented on the Facebook page. And I should also mention, and we always forget to give the contact details. We just figure if people are listening, they already know where to find us. But <laughs> if somebody chanced on the podcast, um, you can find us on pavementpodcast.com or find us on 
Facebook. Just search for Take Me to Your Reader or Pavement Pounders Podcast. And connect with us and send us any suggestions that you might have. Um, we haven't done like a listener suggested one in a while, I guess. I guess the Iron Giant is going to be because um, Roger from the Geek Likes actually suggested that one. You know, we're, we're, we're doing the Peter Jackson multiple endings thing. <laughs> so, Matt, we always uh, sign off with, with what we call the Pavement Pounders Blessing. Um, typically, I come up with something that is germane to our discussion. I'm trying to think what it is. I got one. You got one? May the road rise up to meet you, and may your hydrogen always be completely reacted. I like it. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I think we'll stick with that one. Once again, Matt, we'll say thank you for, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Okay. And thanks for making space for us and being flexible because we did have to scrub the launch at least once. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. I'll see you later. Bye, guys. Okay. Bye. bye. Oh. Potatoes and Valium. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were in the Navy. So um, I, I value having somebody who knows what he's doing um, because none of us do. So. <laughs> we just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We, we call each other the pavement pounders because we run together. Oh, nice. And, uh, on, you know, trail trails roads most of the time um or sidewalks i'm also a runner uh, do you guys uh do like uh 5ks half marathons marathons what do you what's your deal uh, our our preferred distances are the lower ones so (laughs) (laughs) um colin and i have done a couple 10ks together i think though we've only done 5ks with james yep what about you uh well i started out i got into running by training for a marathon and then over the that was uh my I did two one in two thousand nine and one two thousand ten and then since then nice. I have I moved fr- to half marathons and then to five k's and <laughs> so that's where I'm <laughs> that's where I'm sitting at right now five k's but uh, hopefully nice. I want to get a trilogy of marathons under my belt so yeah uh, one more coming soon you to well if you're ever out in our area and you want to get you know some five k distance in that won't require much effort just just let us know or if you guys ever <laughs> want to do the Portland marathon. I don't see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had any ambition to do a marathon. All right. Well, just think about it. I would seriously consider coming out there if you guys were interested. We'll see. All right. Okay. Oh, nice. Seth, how old are you? Colin and I have crested into the 40s. So (laughs) You're old men. We won't say by how much. Okay. (laughs) Colin and I actually talked about it off the air. So maybe people can hear that in some sort of behind the scenes feature. Ah, I can I can put that in the non Seth blooper reel. Normal, normal, normally, the blooper reel is quite heavy on Seth. So, Seth, are you there? Hey, man, I've got you. All right, Colin, how's it going? Good. So here we are for the bonus material. Bonus material. Yeah. So nobody got my. Uh, for those of you that aren't listening, because we're not actually broadcasting this yet. Right. Uh, Seth went offline, and I made a joke saying he must have leaned his drill up against the computer, and I got this blank space from the other two people in the Skype chat. <laughs> No, no, I got it. As soon as I read oh, okay. it, big laughs over here on my side. <laughs> Just didn't translate to text. So, yeah. what can it's we... hard to tell a joke over text. So if we put this at the end of the episode, what can we talk about that will be pertinent to the conversation, but not necessary for everybody else to be here? You want to talk about Castaway? <laughs> I want to talk about Castaway. I love well, Castaway. Know, the... Did you love that movie? I did. Uh, it wasn't a great movie, but... You know, I tend to like those man against nature kind of stories where the guy overcomes in the end. If he had sunk with his raft, I don't think I would have liked it as much. Right. Uh, I saw somebody else online saying that it was that this movie, The Martian, was like Hatchet in space. Did you ever read The Hatchet when you were in school? No, but I think it came out after I left school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I don't know you guys' ages. I am 33. I'm 45. Okay, so you beat me. <laughs> okay, the 
the hatchet <laughs> age you maybe nothing else the hatchet is a kind of smaller novel that came out in 1987 mm-hmm. and it's about a young i don't know teen teenage guy who gets lost in the woods and has to survive by himself for a while and i read it in fifth grade i think oh wait hey uh i think we're being called for the, for the real the real deal let's go back to these guys hold on hello this is matt hey sorry about that no problem Any, anybody else still on well i was just talking to colin uh okay is, is he here yet i'm here back yeah okay. well i guess it was uh inevitable that that would happen at some point uh, yes that is your windows punishment yeah thank you so go ahead colin <laughs> lay it on that's what you get for leaning the drill up against your computer <laughs> <laughs> yes see that joke's uh, a winner that's got it <laughs> colin that yeah. joke's a winner <laughs> yeah, that's that my is... one for the day unfortunately <laughs> Okay. Rock and roll. All right. I will start us off then. And this is always the hardest part. Um, we, we see, Matt, we don't have uh, theme music to play. So, like, there's nothing, nothing to tell me that it's time. And, uh, and so I. Do you want me to play my I, theme music? I, I ramble. <laughs> if you, no, that's okay. I, I could play my theme music and everybody would be really confused. All right, Seth. Hello. This is Matt Anderson. Signing off here. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Had a great time with you guys. Well, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson, signing off.